This podcast should not be considered as medical or legal advice. If you are looking for such advice, then do contact a professional. But please find someone that has a brain and can think critically about what's going on in the world today. This is the Collective Resistance Podcast with your hosts, Leo and Fabiola. We will be discussing why we find ourselves resisting the narratives of the common collective, as well as why the common collective resists new information. Fabiola, how are you? Hey, Leo. I'm wonderful. How are you? I am excellent. It was a beautiful weekend here in sunny northern Idaho. Did you enjoy it? I did enjoy it very much. I'm glad to hear that. Well, um, we have a special guest for our 50th episode. Can you believe it's been 50 episodes already? No, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) It's been almost a year and a half we've been recording. Yeah, and it's been a it's been a crazy season here. I know we had one other break where we didn't keep our weekly cadence because uh, I know you'd gotten a little ill mm-hmm. uh, early on. But other than that, uh, we kind of kept it going. And then the, this last uh, episode is a little bit delayed because we were on spring break, went back home to Kansas City to visit some uh, loved ones and friends. And, and uh, uh, that was a lovely trip. And now we're back in Idaho and uh, doing the mountain living. And we're wrapping up season five. Yep, season five. So we want to kind of intro our guest uh, today. It He is a hero of ours. Uh, we've known him for some time now, uh, and we mentioned it early on, and I guess it's kind of been peppered throughout some of the episodes, but, uh, you know, we went through the experience of vaccine injury and uh, having a... Uh, special needs child who was on the autism spectrum. We then went through the process of recovering him. And uh, uh, this individual that we're going to talk to today is one of the key components of that. And Fabi, uh, which she'll tell the story once we bring him on, uh, she was the one that, that came across him uh, while doing some of the research and attending a conference uh, many years ago, what it's probably been, what, nearly 10 years ago? 10 right? years, yeah. So uh, the individual that we're talking about is Ron K. Kaufman, and uh, Ron is the author of the book Autism Breakthrough. It's the groundbreaking method that has helped families all over the world, and he's also the former CEO of the Autism Treatment Center of America. That happens to be where uh, we had gotten the education around autism in order to help Uh, our son recover lost abilities post-injury, and we owe them uh, really, really anything we can come across, we we owe to that team over there. And I know Mm -hmm. many other families have had a fantastic experience. Um, Some other accolades around Ron to know about is he is an international lecturer and graduate of the Ivy League Brown University with a degree in biomedical ethics. Ron has completed lecture tours in the U.S., U.K., Ireland, and Netherlands, as well as Belgium, Sweden, Norway, Spain, Portugal, Poland, Romania, France, Japan, Singapore, the Philippines, Malaysia, and Vietnam. 
com. So he's certainly uh, gotten around the globe and uh, been able to reach a lot of people. His articles have been featured in journals such as The Autism File and Good Autism Practice and in books such as Silver Linings and Cutting Edge Therapies for Autism. He has been interviewed by media such as the National Public Radio, BBC Television, Fox News Channel, the London Telegraph, and People Magazine. So in addition to his work with families and educators for almost 25 years, Ron brings a distinctive qualification to the realm of autism treatment, and that's his own story. And that's probably what's most fascinating, and he's going to talk about that a little bit when we bring him on, is that uh, he himself was the first individual that went through the uh, therapy that... uh, um, Uh, in the uh, philosophy that his parents developed that ended up becoming what the Autism Treatment Center of America uh, helps train families in. And so he was uh, uh, considered severely autistic when he was uh, a a young boy, and uh, uh, he obviously uh, uh, had things turn around for him. And so that's going to be part of the story here. Um, Fabi, do you have anything else you want to mention? I know we have a quick video that we want to touch on, but I want to make sure that... uh, if there's anything I missed. Yeah, so this um, treatment protocol that his parents developed is called the Sunrise Program. And that's the program that we did for our son. Although this episode's not specifically about autism, we do talk about autism a lot because we do have what people call an autism epidemic. And a lot of the traits are very similar to what we experienced the pandemic, and that's what we're going to be exploring. And uh, he's working currently on a new project with a colleague of his, Kate Wild, who also uh, was uh, one of the key members, uh, team members at the Autism Treatment Center of America. And they are working on uh, a, a new side project that they call Autism Crisis Turnaround Act. And that can be accessed at autismcrisisturnaround.com. And before we bring... Uh, Ron on. We want to go ahead and play a short clip where Kate and Ron talk about the ACT uh, um, methodology. And so let's go ahead and do that now. When you have a loved one on the spectrum, sometimes the world can feel like a stormy sea. And you never know what's going to rock the boat. Hitting, screaming, crying, anxiety, defiance at school, fighting at home. Your loved one on the autism spectrum is having a crisis. We call that a neurocrash. It isn't their fault. It isn't your fault. It isn't even the fault of autism itself. How do I know? I'm Ron and I have been where your loved one is. I was diagnosed with severe autism as a child. I couldn't speak or connect or behave in the way that the world thought that I was supposed to. And now I'm happily married, Ivy League graduate, an author, and an international lecturer. And I'm Kate, a speaker, author, and teacher. And I've dedicated my life to working with thousands of people on the autism spectrum and their families all around the world. We've been friends working together for over 50 years combined. And together we created the Autism Crisis Turnaround. It's a quick and easy to learn approach to help you and your loved one identify the real problem and solve it. Because we can't solve the problem when we've been misinformed about what's causing it, when we're blaming the wrong thing. 
when we've been told that so-called defiant, difficult, or erratic behaviors are an inevitable part of having a loved one on the autism spectrum. When we're presented with short-term symptom suppressors like medications, distractions like tablets and televisions, and last resort decisions like group homes, we're here to tell you that there is a real solution, one that comes from a deep understanding of your loved one's experience. And enables them to feel, finally, a genuine sense of ease, safety, calm, and trust and at long last, freedom from the neuro crashes. For you both. It's all about learning to identify your loved one's SOS, their signals of stress, that begin to show when they're presented with environments and circumstances that may seem ordinary or even unnoticeable to you, but can massively disrupt their brain's ability to function. We call these imposed situations, and when they go unrecognized, they can build up to a point where the person on the spectrum's coping mechanisms shut down. They are driven into fight or flight survival mode, and that's what neurocrashes are. This is why we created the Autism Crisis Turnaround. The ACT protocol is made up of five turnaround tools that work together to turn things around in a matter of weeks. To restore peace to your home, classroom, or therapy room, to get your loved one out of this cycle of anxiety and explosive challenges, to help you foster a crisis-proof relationship and communicate your support in a way that your loved one on the spectrum can really feel, to stop neuro crashes before they start. You can reserve your spot in the ACT Live Rescue course now. And if you need immediate help, we've created the Autism Crisis Lifeline Instant Mini Course, which you can begin now. We even have a free in-depth video you can watch. And you can do all of this and connect with us at AutismCrisisTurnaround.com. We're waiting with open arms and your life raft to guide you to calmer shores. All right. Well, that was informative, and uh, we're going to bring Ron on now. But before we do that, I just want to mention that uh, you might notice a little difference in audio when we do. We had some technical difficulties when we recorded the interview, and we ended up having to use the audio directly out of the Zoom rather than the one captured by our equipment. So, um, you know, Ron sounds fine. I know we're a little bit muffled in it, uh, so please uh, hope it's not too distracting, and please enjoy the interview. Uh, Let's bring on Ron now. Ron Kaufman, how are you? I'm good. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, we are so happy that you are joining us. Uh, you are one of our heroes. Um, as you know, we we uh, met you and uh, the Autism Treatment Center. I mean, it's been nearly a decade now. Yep, 2012. Wow. That's Actually, crazy. Wow. I saw you the first time at Autism One in 2012. So I go to your lecture. Yes, we were doing ABA therapy with our son. And as you started talking, everything made sense. I'm like, oh, my God, we're doing it all wrong. (laughs) 
Yeah, and and I she came home and she's like, okay, we're gonna we're going to to the startup. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. We're going. How about you? It looks it looks like it costs some money. Why don't you go? And then you tell me how it is. And then well, she's like, no, 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 no. You don't not understand. how this is going to work. You're, you're going to go too. Wow. And, and, the, and the rest went, is, as right? they say, history. Yes. 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 Wow. 2012. It blew, our, it, blew, it blew my mind and just my paradigm. And it, it really changed our lives, our family's life. That is so cool to hear. Well, thank yeah. you. That is, that is amazing. Well, and so what we do on this program, you know, we, we know that the autism treatment, well, it's not a program, it's a show, okay, <laughs> on this show is that- We're not trying to program anybody. <laughs> we, we try to uh, bring people content, uh, and specifically a lot of content where um, it might be fought in the mainstream, and I know that the Autism Treatment Center has not- always been embraced because it, it doesn't follow the typical lines of, uh, you know, mainstream medicine and what they recommend for children on the spectrum and whatnot. And so, you know, we wanted to meet with you because we just obviously underwent this pandemic. We know that, that uh, uh, children have been uh, impacted to a certain extent. We're wondering just, you know, where you see in being being a, a, a focal point and a lightning rod in the autism community, you know, where are we at? Do you think we're in a really good place coming out of this? Do you think that uh, we were set back at all? And then what are you working on? We just kind of want to dive into that and, and, and get sure. to know you a little bit better. Sure. Well, well thank you. Thank you. Um, just quick question. I'm happy to dive into all that. Would it make sense at all for me to tell a little bit of my just own personal. Yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah, go ahead. That's okay, yeah. So just for your, I, I know I know you guys know the, know this stuff, but for any of your viewers or listeners, uh, so I, I come at the autism field from a kind of unique perspective in the sense that when I was a young boy, I was diagnosed with so-called severe autism. When I say severe, I'm talking about I had no language, uh, you know, no eye contact communication. I was very much... Uh, encapsulated and enveloped in my own world. I would spend many, many hours a day doing a lot of the repetitive so-called stims that uh, people on the spectrum do. I rock back and forth and move my fingers in front of my eyes. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is to take kitchen plates, like take a kitchen plate and spin it on its edge on the floor, like a, like a top, and then flap my hands as I watched it spin. And yeah, we saw the movie. It was You were quite scaled at that. I... <laughs> I know it. I know it. I'm, I'm well, proud. Really good. I'm I tried. Yes, absolutely. And and uh, it's pretty pretty amazing actually in terms of what happened because you know my parents are told first of all they're given all these incredibly just dark, grim, pessimistic messages about me. You know, it's oh this first of all autism is like oh it's the worst thing that could ever happen to a family. This is what they're told, right? That's such we're so sorry. Uh, which I just think that's interesting because it's, it's a, a common response. We're so sorry. And yeah. uh, I remember my parents talking about like, Hey, we never want to look at our son and think like, Oh, what a tragedy. Oh, we're so sorry. He's like this. Yeah. Right. So that was one, but not even just that they were also told what the rest of my life was going to be like. Right. So I was never going to one, I was never going to speak uh, Two, I was never going to, 
make friends or even prefer people over objects. I was never going to, you know, go on to go to, I don't know what you would call typical schools, right? graduate high school, go to college, live on my own, have a job, get married. All these things were just simply not in the cards for me. I mean, just, and, and again, this wasn't even said to them like, hey, this is one possibility. This was the only possibility. This was just the truth, according to the diagnosticians. This was just how it was going to be. And right. so my parents did something really amazing in the face of that, which is uh, they really turned their backs on the, that whole outlook of like, oh my God, autism, oh, it's so terrible. And also on any predictions about my future, because it was sort of like, hey, the, the, he's a little kid, he's two years old. We, his future isn't even close to written yet. We have no idea what his future is gonna be. Let, let's not us decide in advance what, what his future is not gonna be. Right. Yeah. And they developed uh, what you guys used as well, which is the Sunrise Program. And they called it uh, the Sunrise Program, but they spelled it S-O-N because that was their son. Right. right. Very clever. Yes. And, uh, and they, it was pretty amazing, though, because really there was just nothing like this at the time. There was no like, oh, we'll just follow what so-and-so did. You know what I mean? I mean and I would say in many, in many ways, there's nothing like it still. Still. Here, here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know i know i i mean it's, this is the thing it's like it's still it's still paradigm breaking even now even yeah. though i will say very happily uh there are aspects of it that are now mainstream in a way that never were when i was younger and he, okay. even when i was first an adult and speaking on this subject the, mm -hmm. there it's really changed since then a lot um yeah. but you're right Do you think you're, it you're for the better <laughs> Um, I do overall. Um, let me let me dive into that in yeah, a second. Yeah. Let me let me just in case the audience is like, and so what happened? Um, yes. so I'll just just tell you this, which is that, that you know they developed this program. They worked with me for a little over three years. They did some really, as you said, really pioneering things, mm -hmm. such as um, I'll, I'll just give you one example for anyone listening. This was a this was a really big deal at the time. It's still a big deal, actually, which is that so I would spin those plates, right? And I'd flap my hands. And my mom was told, you got to take the plate away. You got to tell him no. You've got to redirect him. And uh, I'll just tell you this. Uh, that was the most tame, nicest thing she was told. I mean, <laughs> right? This was in the 70s, right? So right. This was, yeah. They, they went and explored what was out there. These kids were having their arms tied to the arms of chairs for hours to prevent them from flapping. They were locked in dark closets. They were routinely electric shocked with uh, cattle prods and other kind of equipment in an effort to use what was then called so-called aversives to stop them from doing these behaviors that they, that they actually needed to be doing. But nobody understood that at the time. And, yeah. and, that, you know, what was really being done was, I, I mean, I, I don't really think it's an exaggeration that we would call that either torture or abuse, like in complete non-ironic seriousness, if that was happening now. Um, yeah. So this is what they were faced with. Uh, so like I said, just my mom being told to take the plate away and yell no at me was like the nicest thing. Um, but she, she really did something amazing, you know, just totally the opposite. She Whenever she would see me doing this, she did this thing that my parents pioneered called, called joining. And so she would get a plate of her own. She would sit down next to me and she would spin with me. Like, I don't mean trying to like copy me to like kind of trick me out of what I was doing, but like actually get as into 
plate spinning as I was. Like sort of say, you love plate spinning. I love plate spinning more than you love plate spinning. I'm a plate spinning fanatic. Right? <laughs> you know, and, and so this was interesting. By the way, when she did this, you know, my parents were told this is the, it's, it's better if you literally do nothing than do what you're doing. You're, what you're doing is worse than doing nothing because at least if you do nothing, you just leave the kid where they are. You're actually going to so-called, this is it, reinforce the very behaviors you're trying to change. You're going to make him more autistic, right? And I, I, you know, my mom's, you know, you guys know my mom. So she's like, I you know, know your mom. Right? She's like, I she, have the pleasure. She, she's a yeah. wallflower, okay? Yeah, exactly. And she also, she's not a wallflower, but she's also not, uh, not someone who takes herself and things super seriously, right? Yes. So she's like, oh, you mean he'll do it more than, then eight hours a day, he'll go to eight and a half hours a day. I think I <laughs> right? So, um, so she, so, but, but in truth, she did, she didn't actually believe that that was what was going to happen anyway. And she was completely right. I'm, I'm really, it took a lot of incredible guts for my parents to do this in the face of just unrelenting criticism and, and scare yeah. mom about, oh, about their own kid. So she does this. And that's the first time I ever look at her, smile at her, start including her in my play. Like it was serious breakthroughs happening like pretty quickly. And so then they, they built the whole, that was just the first step of the sunrise program. They kind of built a whole kind of approach and uh, that involved going into my world. And then slowly when they had my willing engagement, inviting me to take steps across the bridge back to their world, using my own interests and motivations as the cornerstone of any activity or game that was stretching my social connection. There was a lot of stuff. They, by the way, they were also one of the first parents like on earth that did, uh, this was early seventies to do dietary intervention for autism. Right. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so they did all this stuff and, you know, I blossomed and grew and like, I went on to do every single thing my parents were promised that I would do. I, you know, and I, I, yes, I did graduate from Brown University with a degree in biomedical ethics. I, I am married, ha- very happily married. <laughs> um, but like people, this is important to people. I mean, yeah. I know, I know. They, yeah. think, they, they think this means like, this tells them what their own child or adult is capable of, right? Yeah. Which, which in a sense it does, although I don't think you need me to do that, but in a sense it says like, hey, there's, there's, there's not a, a certain box that a person on the spectrum can be put in. We're, we're capable of all different kinds of things, all different kinds of growth, change, socialization, connection, all different. And, and it also, I just want to say, it doesn't mean my, my story is the good outcome. And then right. the other outcomes are like the bad outcomes. It just means like, hey, this was pretty startling given the, given the absolute certainty with which they were given these other predictions. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my, you guys know my dad, Barry Neil Kaufman, he wrote, he's an author about his first book, which was called Sunrise. Yeah. Uh, called Sunrise, the Miracle Continues, ended up selling over a million copies. It was made into an NBC television movie that was seen by many people. My parents. I have it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> my, that's that's me and the it's on our shelf. Yeah, that's you with there, all your yes. hair. Oh, <laughs> and such beautiful hair. Yes. I always have to convince people that uh, this situation is not a side. <laughs> but, uh, but really it was uh, amazing because yeah, I just think to myself of like so then people like you guys, right? through this ripple effect, through the movie, through the book, through my parents yeah. starting the nonprofit Autism Treatment Center of America, through all that happening, uh, all these other families, kids, adults, 
like got completely different life experiences. Yeah. yeah. Got to be and got to have their autism honored and loved and got to be helped in a way they weren't helped before and yeah. got to be, you know, hopefully non-traumatized in a way that a lot of people on the spectrum yeah. have, been, you know. So mm-hmm. you know, I'm 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 grateful for that. And I I'm really grateful that I get to kind of now be a part of helping other people kind of cross the bridge that I once crossed myself. Yes, you certainly helped us. I remember uh, Bren was our um, our teacher. So she walked That's with us. Yes, we love Bren. Yes. And she walked with us for like four years. Yeah, And much. I remember in the very beginning, um, hearing from her, she's like, oh, you can, you can dream. You can want all these wonderful things for your child. You don't have to be attached to it though, but you can want that for them. And that was pretty much our whole philosophy through our, our program. And today, you know, he's 13. He goes to regular school. He has friends. He does activities like any other kid. And when we started, I mean, he was nonverbal. And he was just like the, almost the star of the class play two weeks ago. <laughs> yes. Star you know? of his seventh grade class play. Charlotte's yeah. Web. <laughs> Which it's, it's just awesome. amazing to see. So it changed us in so many ways. He taught us to, to grow with our child. You know, we grew as he grew. And we were present with him. We learned to be present. Uh, we learned about, you know, beliefs are just beliefs. You're just made up. You know, you can make different beliefs if you want. And you can take responsibility for yourself, for your feelings. You don't have to be a victim anymore. You don't have to victimize your child. And you don't have to be a victim anymore. So it was really huge for us. Wow. That is, that's just incredible. That's, that is awesome. Um, so um, I was, I was um, at a park with my little one. I have a little one too now. And I saw a lot of kids, a lot of kids, a lot of adults really with special needs. They probably lived in a facility or a home. And I remember one of them was crying and he really, he was he had a mask on and he really wanted it off. He really wanted it off and he was crying and they're like, you can't take it off and you're at a park. And that really broke my heart a little bit because I think there are different ways that you can present things to, to children, to adults. That's what we learn in the Sunrise program, right? Um, being excited about everything and going with the yes for everything. So what do you think in this crazy times where I feel um, kids and adults with special needs have really taken the brunt because either they didn't have the care because everybody was locked down or they, um, you know, they had sensory issues. So they had to deal with this, all these new things, new regulations, new restrictions, um, and they really suffered with that. So how do you feel? Do you feel like there could be a different approach that people could use with either children with special needs or different beliefs you could apply in these times where the kids would still be able to thrive and thrive in such a hard time? environment? Yeah. yeah, in a hard environment. 
Well, yeah, I have, I have several thoughts about it. And I, I just let me throw a few at you because, well, the first thing I'll say, which, and, and when you hear this, you may feel a sense of like, well, wait a minute. And, and I understand if you do, but let me, let me just make my case on the, on the one end, yeah. which sure. is this, which is the, at the very beginning when it was first happening and there was, you know, school closings and all this different yeah. stuff. Right. Um, and, and I, I, I speak as, I'm not saying this in support of the lockdowns per sure, se, sure. But, I, I, but more of what I just saw happen that just happened to happen, right? Which is that there were a bunch of parents, I will say there were a bunch of parents that I spoke to that I was working with who um, were forced, um, and now I don't believe in forcing them, but I'm just saying they just, this happened. They were forced to have their loved one on the spectrum and not be and not have that person be in school, right? Now, what? Here's why this is interesting because uh, a lot of these parents, the, I'm just talking about this. This sure, sure. I was talking to they, they. It was the first time they really saw how much school in their particular case. Now, these are right. parents, yeah. kids with autism, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I don't feel the same way at all about neurotypical kids in this situation, but it was the first time these parents saw how much school was actually messing with them, right? right. That's nobody's fault. That's nobody's intention to do that. I'm not blaming the schools, but right. so many people with autism are put in these school environments that are highly overstimulating, that rob them of key aspects of their own control and autonomy that they need. Again, nobody's fault. Nobody's doing that to be mean, but that's what happens. Part of what you have to do in a school, right? Yeah. So there's the sensory overload. There's the there's the violations of their need for control, autonomy, predictability. There's the the situations that happen with other kids. There's teachers not understanding. There's there's the just the over the environmental overwhelm, like so many things. And uh, we you know, in the Sunrise Program, we talk about this since long before COVID. These are just inherent problems in school for a lot of yeah. people on the spectrum. And some some people temporarily take their kids out of school. Some some don't. We don't, it's not a requirement. But what is interesting is it was it was forced on a bunch of people. Now, again, yeah. it shouldn't have been forced on people. But once that happened, there were all these people that, that were like, oh my gosh, my, my son on the spectrum is not having 20 meltdowns a day. Oh my gosh, my son on the spectrum is much calmer. My daughter is uh, trying to communicate with me more or even speaking more or like there's all, all different things that they say. I'm talking about early, early on now in the pandemic. Sure. Yes, yes. They got this like concentrated time where their, their child on the spectrum is not six hours a day in this environment that's making yeah. it impossible for them to function, right? Yeah. So now, look, the problem is, this is why you can't force people to do anything. It's just not, it's not, it's not good policy, right? But right. Is, it, the problem with that is that what you get along with that, which you don't get when parents do it voluntarily with the Sunrise program, right. mm-hmm. is you get, a, you get another layer of stress and resentment and stuff on the part of the parents, especially, especially after a little while. I don't, I, some of these parents, like at the beginning, were were like, oh, like they were seeing some positive things. So they were, but then when it dragged on, they were like, whoa, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't arranged my life around this. And right, so, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so in that case, what you then get is you get a resentful, stressed out parents, which then, as you guys know, from being in the Sunrise program, that's actually going to cause a whole bunch of other issues with someone on the spectrum because yeah. one of the- we, we've been there. 
Yeah, you've been there, right? Been there. At Sunrise Mom. Spent <laughs> lots of hours in the playroom. <laughs> yeah, and, and look, one of the I'll just because I think this is so important. I, I'm I'm going somewhere with this, but I just yeah. want to yes. say it because um what people I don't think people who are neurotypical really get, like really get that when someone on the spectrum is around someone who is emotionally agitated even if it's not directed at the child. I mean, it's, it's worse if it's directed at the child, but even if it isn't, even if it's at your husband, your wife, your boss, right? But you're like, oh, you're agitated, you're stressed, you're scared, you're angry, and you're around someone on the spectrum. I don't think people understand what that actually feels like if you're a person on the spectrum. And it feels like a freaking tidal wave of scent of like overload hitting you. Sent yeah, yeah. It's unpredictable. It feels overwhelming. It feels so... It, it causes all sorts of problems and issues for people on the spectrum, mm -hmm. right? And uh, so that, I mean, that's a big thing that I've really seen. And it's not just in the Sunrise program. Like there's just so many different situations now where I'm seeing even with my newer work that I'm doing, where I'm just seeing like the amount of what, what people would call meltdowns that people on the spectrum have this this uh, this emotional agitation is certainly not the only cause, but it is a cause that is fairly significant, and that means that it's actually not not a bad thing. It means that there's actually things that people can do that don't entail upending your whole life, but that can really make a difference in the experience of your loved one on the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, is that a good segue into what you're doing now? And 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 maybe you could talk a little bit about how that kind of birth. Oh yeah, I, I will. Uh, okay. I, just one, I just had one thought just to fully answer your question. Sure, sure. I do that. Just really, really quick, which is just that, you know, the thing that I, I also think, and this will dovetail really nicely into what you just asked, Leo. Um, what I think also people don't realize is when you create some of the conditions that were created around the COVID situation, both created by some of it by the disease and some of it by our response to the disease. Sure, sure. Yes. Um, that you, um, <laughs> you, you create some unintended consequences that I don't think also people are really cognizant of, or certainly weren't cognizant. Maybe they are now, but they weren't at, at, at that point of like, what, what happens when you put, when you like create a lot of situations where people feel um, forced into things and forced yeah. to do things that they don't want to do, right? right. This, is, this is, it's a problem for people on the spectrum, but it's also a problem for right. neurotypical people as well. Yes. And, and, and this is, so I think we're experiencing <laughs> something really weird and interesting um, in, our, in our society that I don't think at least in our collective, you three, you two and me, in our lifetime, I don't think has happened before. No. Um, I would agree. And uh and, it's, and here's what I think it is. It's something that I would call um, a mass neuro crash event. And, mass um, neuro crash event. Okay. A mass neuro crash event. So I will explain that in just one second. But okay. okay. I'm gonna, now I'm going to dovetail back to Leo's question because that's how we. That's how I'm going to get there. If you're okay. Okay. Sure. Um, so here's this really awesome new work that I'm doing with. So this is not work that's being. This isn't the Autism Treatment Center of okay. America, which I still work with and do the Sunrise program, of course, but uh, this is a separate track. Uh, me and my colleague, who you know, you guys know, Kate C. Wild. Yes, we uh, love Kate. Yes, and Kate and I have known each other. This. So I am 49 years old. 
Wow. We have been friends since I was 19. Wow. wow. That, I did not know that. <laughs> that I had no idea truth. that she, but, but was, was that, was she always working with the, with the, the, the Institute? Yeah. That's how long she's been working with people on the spectrum. Oh, wow. Wow. By the way, she's older than me. She's yeah. I, I knew she was a little bit older. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so she's at, she's at least fifty three. So she so so she wasn't nineteen when she came. She was right. She was twenty four. She was twenty four. I remember now. Wow. So she must, she must be fifty four now. But anyway, yeah. So um. So yeah, and and yes, yeah, she started. Actually, her whole story of how she came to the institute is absolutely. I'll just tell it really quick because it's completely insane. Yeah, of yeah. course. She saw the sunrise movie. Okay. <laughs> when she no when she was when she was younger and yeah. Like, completely inspired her to want to work with people on the spectrum. Wow. Right? So, now, at that point, she didn't, she doesn't think there's a place. She just thinks there's this story, right. Of my family in the movie. Cause the movie isn't about this movie happened before Dotson treatment center of America even existed. Right. Yes. So in she, the she UK, she saw the movie in the UK. Cause she's, from Oh the yeah. UK, it was right? shown all, it was shown all over the flipping world. Wow. wow. Shown, yeah. This is why people started to come to my parents from all over. It was shown, it was shown in the Philippines. I mean, I'm not even joking. It was shown, to like over hundred million people all can different wow. right? So people, so, so anyway, so she sees this and like a lot of people, a lot of people have had this reaction to this movie. Mm-hmm. She is like, Oh my gosh, this is like, I want to do this. And I'm right. So that happens. Then she's um, with a, helping a family who's has a kid with autism. Right. And they come to the inst to, to the autism treatment center of America to do a program we used to have called the intensive where yep. would work. but that's a program where the, the family comes it's not a group program it's just the family we work one-on-one with their child and one-on-one with the family at the same time there's a long waiting list for this anyway so she, they and you're they're allowed to take someone who's like assisting them and helping so they take they take Kate right wow she goes she has no idea by the way still no idea that this is connected to the movie she saw really right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah she and then she comes and realizes what the situation like oh my gosh the whole movie that inspired this whole thing is this place right? so and there's she also, like, she's yeah. probably like man this is just a wave of fate <laughs> you know there it's are no coincidences <laughs> that was a by the way that was a couple of, that was a few years before she came to like wow. actually, so, so at that point I was like a maybe a thirteen year old. I don't even. Right. In fairness, I don't remember it. She remembers it. <laughs> I met her. Apparently, it was a big deal. When we met. Um, you were like but, a celebrity. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I was also an annoying teenager, but yes, I did meet her, and which is good. Yes, yes. So anyway, my point is, so yeah, we've known each other. We've been working together. I've been doing this twenty five years. She's been doing it thirty. Um, in terms of professionally, I mean, yeah. and uh, so we, so we wanted to take our knowledge of this and, and um, a couple of things we wanted to not only apply it in, in, a, in some direction, but also to a, to a group we didn't think was being helped here. Right. And that okay. was, a, but that was, that was like in real need of help. Right. And so we actually created this thing. It's called the ACT protocol and it stands for autism crisis turnaround that's act act the acronyms because that's for us hey crisis. i like it yes and and uh but you'll notice it's called the act protocol not like the act program because unlike let's say the sunrise program which is a long-term social mental approach right um the act protocol is not a long-term any developmental approach 
it's neither developmental nor long-term. It's actually designed to be a short-term protocol that you implement for just two to three weeks. Okay. Oh, I like that. That's the whole idea of it. Right? It's like a shortcut. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not a shortcut because it's for something different. So okay. it's not designed to like help your child learn to talk if they're not talking or if they are talking, help them have conversations. It's not designed to, you know, toilet train your adult or your child uh, or any of that kind of stuff, or even to get them to be more social and anything like that. It's, it's actually, um, it's designed to address a particular thing that happens a lot with a certain group. And that is something that actually is something else that Kate and I kind of kind of um, developed as the centerpiece of the whole act protocol, okay. which is called a neuro crash. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, neuro-crash. yeah, a neuro crash, right? Mm-hmm. And and basically, what it, what it is is it's so it's so weird, you guys. I know this might sound a little fun, but like as soon as we did it, we were like, meaning as soon as we came up, even with the term, we were like, we just landed on something here. And then what happened was, it like as soon as we started using it in the world. It just caught on like wildfire. And this, just to give you an example, the um, the U.S. Autism Association just did a one day on, on April uh, 2nd. They did a one day autism conference with, you know, like 15 different speakers from all sure. over the place. Right. I was one of the speakers, but there were also a bunch of other speakers that didn't even know me. Right. That were there. And the entire day was all about neuro crashes, a word that didn't exist two years ago. Right? Wow. wow. Um, this thing that Kate and I developed is like now the subject of a conference that we're not even the like. So, were you the, just wearing a shirt? I coined the term. No, no, <laughs> I, I, I got to tell you, Kate and I were so happy about it because it was that's what we wanted. We wanted the thing to have legs and actually change how people were treating people on the spectrum, even if they weren't connected to us, working with us, cared about us. Right. Yeah. So. So. So anyway, a neuro crash just to, for your listeners is. Um, the definition is basically it's just when a child or adult on the spectrum uh, is exposed to an environment or circumstance that um, basically overloads their brain to such a degree that their coping mechanisms shut down. Right. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, that manifests in a whole bunch of different ways. You can get like a full scale meltdown. You can get hitting or aggressive behavior. You can get like high anxiety, super intense anxiety, you get like hysterical crying, right? So there's, there's different things that can come from that, right? Yep. But those are, but those things, even meltdowns, those are all what, what the neurotypical people see on the outside, right? right. Neuro crash is what's happening on the inside. And that's what was felt was so important. It's like, this has to be approached from the inside. It can't be approached from this outside. Like, how do we stop the meltdown? How do we right. get the kid to stop yelling, hitting, screaming, doing whatever they're doing? Right. We, we had to come in from, but why are they doing it? Why are they feeling the need to do this? What's going on? Right. And how curiosity. We... Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's right. And so basically what the act protocol was then designed for is it was that, like I said, it's a two to three week protocol to address neuro crashes and all the meltdowns and things that come from that. Okay. That's all it's for. It's not for anything else. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying Got to say. It. Oh, that's right. huge. Because even when I found you, the reason we like rushed to Massachusetts and I said, we need to go is because of the meltdowns and, and everything that was happening. We didn't know how to help him. And it happened like every day. So I would think for many parents on our situation, that's like the number one crisis where you're like, okay, like we need to do something, but we don't know what to do. It's so funny. You you said that's the number one crisis. And actually that's, 
that's what we call it. Like the, the it's like yeah. this crisis that we sort of have to get it, get our hands around, you know? Yeah. And it's the thing also that adults, you know, most freak out about adults, not on the spectrum. I mean, right. right? Yeah. And, and, but, but the thing I also say to, and I say this to a lot of uh, parents lately that I've been talking to is like, Hey, guess what? As much as badly as you don't want your child or adult to have this neuro crash as badly as you don't want that, they don't want to have it even more. Right. Mm-hmm. right? It's yeah. not this thing that they're doing on a whim because they're, they feel like it. They're bored. Right. right? <laughs> you know what I mean? I think I'm going to break a window today just because I'm in that kind of mood. You know, yeah. I mean? it's not so. So this is this means their 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 brain and their sort of overstimulation has reached critical mass, and it's like past the point of no return at that point, at least for that moment, right? And so, so we were like, okay, so how do we address this? Because most things that people do to try and deal with that end up, we feel, making it worse. Making it right? worse. They either come so against right. it and make things, stress the kid out more or the adult out more, and that makes yeah. more nerve crashes, right? Or they do things like, they do what we call symptom suppressors, which is like, just throw a screen in front of him and then he won't. Yeah. Or, or let's just put him on medication so he doesn't act out like that. Yeah. Or let's put him in a group home because I someone else can deal with that. Like, you know, yeah. and, and I don't judge anyone who's done any of those things why wouldn't you do those things? You're, you're basically told that there's no way out here. Like they're yeah. doing the best they can. Yeah. They do yeah. And a lot of people get told too, um, Hey, this is just part of autism. If you have yeah. right. autism, this is what's going to happen. And, and we felt really, Kate and I felt really strongly that, hold on, this isn't actually a part of autism. This is part of the lives of many people with autism, but it's not, if that's not their autism, right. that's actually the clash between their autism and how they're processing things. And these imposed situations that are making it impossible for them to function, kind of driving them over the edge. And that's, if you take this second piece away, you can still have just as much autism and you won't get the neuro crashes. Right. right? So we felt like that was important. We, we didn't want autism to be blamed. We didn't want the child or adult to be blamed. We had this one thing of like, hey, your child or adult isn't the problem here. Right. Yeah. Um, so we, we felt like this was really important to understand like what they're, they're these a lot of these people on the spectrum are in constant fight or flight survival mode. Their, their cortisol levels are through the freaking roof. Yeah. And, and that's not a situation where you can scold someone into behaving differently. That's just not yes. going to work there. Right. So, right. So, um, or, or have like a consequence, like they need to learn their lesson. This isn't a lesson. That that's can the be first thing you he- I heard when I was talking yes. to the therapist, the ABA is there's, there, there's gotta be a consequence, you know, he can't do that. And, and so that's when I felt like, Oh no, that's not right. That does not resonate with me. And it's no, not working. No. Right. It's not working. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Right. Just, so tell it us the secret. Can you tell us the secret? <laughs> well, well, yeah, there's actually sort of these five, what we call like, we call them the turnaround tools, but they're basically just five, almost like um, in-depth steps, right? And I can, I can just, I'll just whip them real yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah. Um, so one, the first one has to do with, um, uh, so, okay, so there's, there's, the first one, each one is two words, sorry. So the first okay. one's called use, the first one's called use socioception, and it's basically, socioception is an, another term we coined, but it basically just means um, being able to um, observe and detect what we call SOS. And SOS stands for signals of stress. Okay. So you're looking, now these are things, this is very interesting because what happens is, is um, 
our loved ones start emitting these signals of stress well before the neuro crash. Now there's the obvious ones that happen like 30 seconds before the neuro crash that any parent can probably see. But there's also ones that are happening 30 minutes before that, right? Wow. That, nobody, that nobody's paying any attention to. Okay. I'm talking about more subtle things. You can see tightening in the jaw muscles, opening and closing fists, uh, holding their breath or breathing faster. Like there's, there's, different, there's a bunch of different things saying no a lot, right? These even, even, um, even some uh, things that, you know, um, so let's say these things that people call stims, these repetitive behaviors, mm -hmm. that's not an SOS. Actually, that's a sign that your loved one's coping mechanism is working. Right. Yes. But what could be a sign of SOS and often is, is when they're, when they're doing an ism or a stim, they're doing it. And then suddenly they start doing it like way more intensely. Okay. Right? okay. That's a sign that, uh-oh, they're, they're, they're working harder now because the coping mechanism is starting to break down. It's okay. starting that the, the thing that's happening from the outside is starting to overwhelm their ability to stay at ease and self-regulated while this is happening. So there's all different ones like this, but the first piece is we've got to get really good at, and it's not that hard once you get the hang of it, we've got to get really good at recognizing the SOS, the signals of stress way sooner, because yep. then you can circumvent things way before you reach the critical mass. Once the neuro crash is happening, it's happening, right? Yeah. So, so that's number one. Number two is uh, what we call ceasefire. Ceasefire. And it's basically, <laughs> yeah, it's basically ways to eliminate the, uh, you guys, this will sound, you guys will resonate with this. Um, yes. Ways to eliminate uh, control battles that are that that come from three three pieces of um how to set way less boundaries but be super consistent on the boundaries that are there how to give more control in all these petty situations where we fight for control and create the neuro crashes by having control battles and then thirdly how to what we call eliminate the battlefield which is in the certain situations where if they're going to go into your books in the living room rip all the pages out of the book you can eliminate the battlefield by just not having the books on the shelves in the living room, and then boom, <laughs> yes. that problem is gone, right? So, Genius. Control yeah, the environment. I know it sounds, it's like so obvious, but people really don't, they're like, what do so I, I about the, they're ripping the books. How do I stop it? I'm, I, like, I'm, I'm there with you. I've been there. I've been there. Yes. And so, I'm like, why does he do that? Why do you have this in the room? <laughs> I'm like, oh. <laughs> yes, I get I, it. Yeah, I'm having flashbacks. He's, color he's coloring all over the walls. <laughs> yes. Consider not having crayons. Right? Um, Play-Doh. Yes. So that's and that's no, obviously that's the the simplistic part of it. But there's all yeah. there's there's a bunch of nuance here that has to do with helping the person on the spectrum not feel like they're in a constant fight or flight battle for their own sense of control and autonomy. Okay. Yes. Where there's going like this. Right. Um, because actually, one of the things that I talk about a lot about autism in this in the context of the ACT protocol is that autism isn't about what our loved ones do or do not do. Because people often say, oh, people with autism, they do this. They don't do that. They do repetitive yeah. behaviors. And yes, some of them do do all that stuff. But that's not what autism is. Right. That's just a behavioral response to what's going on. Right. right. So what we say is autism isn't about what, what they're doing. It's about uh, who they like, how they are and how they perceive things. So meaning um, basically uh, it's a, a, a relation, a social relational difference. It's a, um, uh, it's what we call S4, super sensitive sensory systems, just basically very sensitive sensory systems about 
sight, sound, what, what's against their skin. And then the third and final thing is just a very powerfully heightened need for predictability and control. So that's not about what they're doing. That's about how they're experiencing things, right? And so what ends up happening is there's, because we don't meet them in, their, in the relational difference part, we get a trust deficit on their part because we don't, because we're constantly exposing them to sensory overload, we, they hit their sensory wall and they have nerve crashes there. And because we're constantly pulling control away from them in ways we might not even recognize, by the way, we're not doing it on purpose. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Then that they hit their control wall. They also have neuro crashes. So anyway, part step two is, is to um, is cease fire. Step three, we call make peace, which is what you do after you cease fire. And yes. basically that has to do with regulating your own um, emotional agitation and bringing it down. We have a particular way we help people with this, um, bringing it down so that your loved one can bring theirs down. Right. right? And mm-hmm. the fourth one is, um, uh, it's called eliminate intensifiers, basically eliminate crisis intensifiers. So these are things outside of your relationship with your loved one that are sitting kind of like little bombs in their environment and schedule that are causing, it could be things to do with school trips, things like that. Um, it could also include things like biostorms, which are like when they, you guys will know what I'm talking about. It, it could be whether it's something they ate or a new, right. a new detergent you used in the house, but something is dysregulating their internal biological system. They're having a little biostorm of that. That can cause neuro crashes. Mm-hmm. And then the last piece, uh, which we call um, nurture more. And that's basically, uh, Kate and I got a little cutesy here. We, we came up with these things of the five autism love languages. We have the five love languages. Right, oh, we know that. Awesome. But they're, they're ways, yeah, they're, they're ways to basically nurture, love, and connect in between the, in between the neuro crashes um, in such a way that, in such a way that actually feels like, this is cool, that actually feels like nurturing and love to them because everybody loves their kid with autism. Everyone right. does things to nurture them but they yeah. often don't love and nurture them in a way that feels like love and nurturing to them. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So we, so then, yeah. So basically that's what we do. We have this, this basically this like a online zoom, live zoom weekend course. We have like one coming up June 11th and 12th, for example. June 11th and 12th. We're going to yes, put the link in the show notes. So, oh, but yes, you I, saying- I can give you that. Yes, yeah. like people can go to autismcrisisturnaround.com, by the way, if they want to know more information, but you'll also provide them the link. Um, and But what I do want to say is it's it's kind of cool because it's there's um, in total over the weekend, there's five two-hour classes and each two hours is one of those turnaround tools and how to implement it. And then again, it's not about, at least this piece, it's not about turning turning over your whole life. It's about, can you devote a couple of weeks to really doing this stuff really do it for a couple of weeks. You can get out of this dynamic, this cycle of like neuro crash every day or every couple of hours or every, you know, that kind of thing. And it's so, it's so awesome, you guys, because we've, we've had such a cool response from people, like what they've seen. There's a, there's a 31 year old, so a mother of a 31 year old. And he okay. was for decades, every three meals a day, every single meal, he was having complete freak out meltdowns. He's 31. So this is yeah. it's mm-hmm. not a five-year-old having a meltdown, right? Right. Um, she took the she took the program, she did it. And within, I think it was it was less than a day, she started doing this. And she figured out some different ways. She had the meal in a different locations. She did some different things to change it. And he never it never happened again. After after like 15 straight years of this happening three three wow. days a day. That never is amazing. Happened, right. So it's like pretty cool to 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 like 
um, watched that happen. And what a, a kind of fun, um, wonderful side effect, although, you know, we don't promise this, this isn't something we can say will definitely happen, but right. uh, is that oftentimes you will get like increased communication and connection because only not because we're teaching it, but because um, sometimes what's in the way of that is the, the kid or adult constantly being in fight or flight and having neuro crashes all the time. Right. So it's really yeah. hard for them to like communicate with you and connect and so and do all that because this, this tidal wave is hitting them every few hours. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so, which brings me back, you guys, to, to the, that last thing I wanted to say, which is we're experiencing the first mass neuro crash event, which is of neurotypical people. That's right. That's where <laughs> I was going to go. I was like, I was like, this, this sounds like a dovetails, right? Yes. Actually, it's so funny because we have this, um, uh, we just started a few months ago, this subscription service, which is, it's, it's called the Rise Above subscription. It doesn't matter, but it, it's just called, ma- it's about mastering their own neurocrashes. <laughs> and and uh, it's about, it's for, it's, it's, it's for parents to master their own neurocrashes. So it's definitely, look, neurotypical people have neurocrashes all the time. They just don't have them as often and for the same reasons as people on the spectrum. But I had that doesn't mean <laughs> Yes. Yes. And you know, you know, you know who, you know who I wrote a, a kind of interesting semi-controversial article, actually, I was telling Leo about this, about um, how that's one lens through which we could see what happened with Will Smith and Chris Rock, which is like right. he behaved in such a com- Will Smith in such a completely out of character way. And in such a like violent and explosive way um, that I was like, I, I can't, I'm not trying to psychologize him. I can't be, yeah. <laughs> it feels quite possible that what, what happened was, I don't even think it was a, really about what Chris Rock said. No, and no, it was like, it was like 50 minutes ago or maybe even months. Yes, there was something else going on that just happened to be the little, the straw that created, that broke the camel's back, created the neuro crash, and then you get this explosiveness from it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and I think through, to bring to bring back your, your podcast, um, I think the way what's happened with COVID, including the way it's been handled, has um, so, uh, so hit people, so uh, had people have this experience of feeling like their control is being robbed from them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, 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 and also just disrupted all these predictable patterns of people's lives. Just yes. I actually think, so you're getting things like someone, someone on, you know, a flight attendant saying, Hey, can you please put your mask on? And someone gets up, punches the woman in the face and starts screaming. Yeah. Right? And then everybody like makes fun of them on YouTube and oh, what an idiot. Yeah. But I, I don't, I don't see it that way. I don't judge They're having a neuro like What's happening is it wasn't about what the flight attendant said. It right. wasn't even about the mask. It was that that was it was about the the feeling of loss of control that's been building up, and so I feel like you're having all these different you know crime. I don't think you guys have known. Right? The violent crime yeah. has gone up. There's like, been a bunch Suicide of things has gone up. You know, yes, uh, I, um, depression, anxiety. I mean, I could totally relate with that. Yes, and I think you're just seeing a lot more of these uh, these neuro crash. Of, this is why I call it mass neuro crash event. Like basically people that are pretty mild mannered people in most situations yeah, uh, and actually, and, and wouldn't even have a big reaction to the, to the, whatever that person said normally, yeah. right. Um, having these completely, I always say, if someone seems to be overreacting, they're not overreacting. It means that that thing that you think they're overreacting to isn't what they're reacting to. Right. 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 They're having something bigger happen. Right? It's like the valve, and, right? Yes. Yeah. 
Yes. So, so then, are are you guys looking at this more expansively with your? With, are you help? Are how you you're... helping the normal people? I mean, what do the normal people? I mean, <laughs> the normal people. The normal. Oh, yeah. I'm what sorry, are you talking that about? Was yeah. I don't know call them normal people. Um, <laughs> neurotypical. <laughs> okay. Neurotypical people. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm divorcing um... her after the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have a neuro crash like in 30 minutes. <laughs> well, you know, uh, to answer your question, Kate and I have really been, we're starting to see, we're now calling it like the, you know how they have the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Yeah. We now have like the neuro crash universe. Like it started with helping people on, helping people who love people on the spectrum. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's what, that's still our, our main focus. Right. But yeah. We are now starting to see it like these other all these other areas because it is actually affecting and happening in other areas. And that if people could understand what's happening and start to know a few things they can start to do to head that off earlier, including, including looking for SOS, those signals of stress, by the way, yeah. um, that it, we can start to like get out of this cycle we're in. I don't think it's going to happen overnight, but I, right. I think it's possible instead of just every, doing the same thing we do with kids on the spectrum where we just chalk it up to bad behavior. Everyone, yeah. they're just bad behavior. They need to be punished. They're doing a bad behavior and yeah. well, like that kind of atmosphere, which can't possibly solve that. Right. Well, I think what we've, what we've learned over all this, you know, we, they put this label on a lot of these kids, you know, autistic, right. But, but like we mentioned, there is this, this gradient, you know, the, the, the spectrum and there are even kids who might not, test on the spectrum, but they still have a lot of the processes that kids who are on the spectrum do. And a lot of parents think, oh, these are just, my kid's normal. So this thing they're doing, yeah, okay, it's just a phase or whatever, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean there aren't tools and, uh, you know, uh, guidance that we can use to, you know, better support them through that. And, and this, I think this is a great example of that. Yeah. Absolutely. So what can we do? Are you writing a book about this? Are you giving? I am course? writing a book about That's it. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I really when am. Is it coming my, out? <laughs> my, well, my goal is to finish the book itself by the end of the summer. Okay. Oh, wow. Uh, and, Aggressive and, timeline. Your, your, your first book, <laughs> Autism Breakthrough, fantastic. We, we will link to that as well. We love that Thank book. Um, but yeah. But this, since this, we don't have the book yet, what is your, um, what are your quick tips? Do you have quick tips for uh, the neurotypicals? They're neurocrashing. How can they help themselves? <laughs> How can I help myself? Sure. Yeah, <laughs> actually, it's funny because the, the book is going to be called Neurocrash and it's going to address as it applies to autism, but also as it applies to the neurotypical community. So, okay, uh, so you're, awesome. do, you're doing kind of both. Okay. Is that what actually, Leo, it wasn't original. Originally, it was just going to be an autism neurocrash book. But we, as you guys point out, right, we just started seeing it apply to so many. It, it felt like silly to narrow it like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, so, well, look, first of all, um, I think the first piece, if, if, if Fabiola, if you're just talking about neurotypical community having neurocrashes, right? So I yeah. think there's a few different pieces here, right? Because there's what we can do about it in ourselves and there's what we can do about it when either our loved one or a coworker or someone else is going through that. Right. I think they're, cause I think they're, those are both valuable pieces. Or when both would, are I, going over through because, you know, sometimes both of them are having a neuro crash at the same time. <laughs> that 
that actually that could happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I so a few things. So number one is I think uh, it's really important for people. Again, this is true in yourself or other people to start to get much better at recognizing SOS signals of stress uh, way earlier. Like uh, here's what's interesting. I, have you guys ever heard of the term interoception? It's not. It's not a I term. Have not. I didn't come uh, up with it. No. Go ahead. Anyway, I think I have, but it's worth looking up. It's pretty cool. There's there's books about it. It's basically all inter and it definitely relates to autism, but also to the rest of us. It's it's basically the interoception is our uh, basically our brain's ability to perceive the messages from the body about things like are you cold? Are you hot? Are you sleepy? Are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you happy? Are you like all the different things? And actually, a lot of people on the spectrum have not all, but a lot of them have very poor interoception. And that's why they often don't know that they have to pee. They don't know that they're cold. You know, I've had parents say he runs out outside in the middle of winter with a t-shirt on and uh, yes, because actually that, that's an interoception problem, mm -hmm. right? That's actually a sign that actually the, the messages, I'm cold, I'm cold are not getting there, right? Okay. So, um, but also a lot of people not on the spectrum have some interoception issues, not around things like having to use the bathroom or whether it's cold or hot, but around things like as they're starting to get closer to a neuro crash, they're completely just, we're so used to stepping on and stamping out, right? What's going on that it's yeah. really important to first start to get better at noticing your own SOS. It's actually one of the first activities we have people do in the ACT course is do their own, do their own. Nice. Thing. Awesome. Of, yeah, of like, what are your own ones? Like, and people have all different kinds of ones, right? They tense different muscles. They, they, it could be changes in breathing. It could be things they start to say that some, some people have verbal go-to sentences they say over and over again, as they start to get more stressed, um, okay. you know, there's all sorts of different, some people, you know, uh, fidget a lot, right? Lots of, some people blink a lot. So some people eat, right? So there's a, there's a bunch of different things, right? And so if you can start, if you can start recognizing your own, Okay. You'll start to, then before you hit the neuro crash part, you can say like, oh, okay, I'm getting close to one. I have to, you know, go, go to a room for a little while by myself, even if it's a bathroom and okay. just like sit there for 10 minutes okay. and just breathe, breathe. You know, I have to, this is not a new idea, but like taking long breaths really makes a difference. If okay. not one, again, once you're having the neuro crash, it's too late. Now you're having okay. a neuro crash, but if you can catch it before then, while you're still just having SOS, then you can, then that that really helps. There's all sorts of ways that just lengthening your breaths, especially the breath out. It's hard um, to do it with a mask on. <laughs> I've tried <laughs> in the airplane. It's really hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, and well, you know, you know, it's so funny. You know how a lot of people sing in the shower. Uh huh. Right? One of the things that happens when you sing people, you don't realize, people don't realize, is that you start, it's one of the only times that you take longer out breaths than in breaths. Oh, wow. That, people, ma that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, most uh, people- So sing in, in the breaths. shower, breathe, sing in the yes. shower. <laughs> now, if you're, if you're recognizing SOS, Fabiola, that also means you're, you can get better at recognizing it in other people. I don't, I don't just, I'm not oh. just talking about people, right? You can start to notice- Oh, Sam, my coworker who sits next to me at the law, um, I can notice the kind of ways, because most people aren't even looking for it. That's the thing, right? Well, right. you know, while you were talking today here in the interview, I'm just going over my head and I'm like, 
okay, I, here was my kid's SOS the other day. Here was the other <laughs> kid. And, and I'm just like ignoring him. Here's mine. You know, and I'm like, grow up, you know. Stamp it over. Shut it So down. now I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, Ron just called me out. I They're SOSing and I'm just like, go away. Oh my gosh. Do you know who Bill Burr is, the comic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has this whole routine about how, he learned as a man that what you're supposed to do is you take any emotion, any sadness, any hurt, and you just stuff it down. Stuff it down. And, yeah. and it gets added to the shelf of anger and resentment that you have. <laughs> so, so anyway, yeah, I can we, see we all, that now. You know, I think it's all waiting for me out that door. <laughs> <laughs> so recognizing it, are you saying we just get quiet in our bodies or how do we first start recognizing the SOS? Oh, yeah. Well, the uh, actually, so the first thing, if you're doing, if you're talking about Fabiola in yourself. Fabiola in myself. Uh, yes. Then that, that's where the intercept, interoception's like a muscle. It's a, it's a strengthening of oh, getting wow. better at hearing the message, which we're that's not good at amazing. because our whole point is you're supposed to tune that out and get busy with whatever right. you're supposed to be doing, right? Yeah, get over um, it. Get over it. You have no reason to be stressed. Yeah, and and and, and sometimes people don't even know. I've I've talked to people like they have no awareness that there is a stress because they're right. so cut off, right? So yeah. so part of it, and that so that's not going to happen overnight if you're not used to doing it. You got to got to right. get a little practice here. You get your mass, muscle going, okay? Yeah, get your muscle going. That's right. Um, the other thing I was going to say about that is, um, oh, you know. And then socioception is the part where you're noticing it in other people, okay. right? Okay. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's the term me and Kate came up with. Interoception's have long been in use. But mm -hmm. um, you can start to notice, oh, this other people's showing signals. Oh, and if you're asking then, Fabiola, if the thing is to get quiet and whatever, that's a piece of it. I, I'm okay. not saying that that solves all issues, right? If you're in an environment that's super overstimulating and you're starting to have SOS, and you don't leave that environment, um, getting it's gonna be quiet, a challenge. not going to work. Okay, yeah. okay. So, which is, by the way, another thing, especially if you're neuro... Quit my job then. That will <laughs> solve all the problems. <laughs> well, but, but actually, Fabio, it's interesting, right? Even if you want to quit your job, right? The thing that neurotypical people have that people on the spectrum don't get the opportunity to do is their people on the spectrum are usually... In, in, in forced environments. They don't have the chance to leave the environment. Right. But if you're a neurotypical person, even if you're at a job that's highly stressful and you don't want to quit, you could still, if you caught the SOS earlier, you could still leave for 10, for 10, you could still change the environment for 15 minutes. For 15 minutes, that's all? I mean, again, that doesn't- <laughs> You may need an hour. For me? Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, so there's, so you also have the opportunity to change the environment you're in. Right. Okay. And then I want to say this to you guys, because this, this is a big one. And this relates again to your podcast. The, it, I, I, I think people don't understand the importance of control. They don't. Right. I, I like it's so crucial. People having it's funny. It's not crucial that they be in control. It's crucial that they perceive that they're in control. Right. Oh, I know wow. that sounds a little well, Machiavellian. I'm not saying to use that to manipulate people. I'm just trying to say that, like, the point is, it's not about whether, let's say, Leo, I, I, well, Leo, I think you have total control over that situation. It's not about what I think about your control. It's about whether you feel in control in this situation. Do you know what I mean? Well, I, so I was just, I was just reading a thing today uh, about 
you know, Bernays, you know, the expert in, uh, um, well, you know, like advertising Bernays and, 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 and he was talking about, um, you know, when you provide a lot of options to people, they actually feel in control. And when you take those options away and even use the, the example of, um, the, the, the number of toothpaste at the grocery store, when you have, you know, like 50 to choose from, you feel in control that, okay, I've got all this. And then all of a sudden there's only one, you actually uh, uh, are like, well, what's, what's going on here? Why are all my options being taken? And, and, and it was an interesting mind exercise that kind of reminded me of that. Yeah. And, and well, it's interesting. You should say that for, for two reasons, which is um, one is, just to build on your example, let's say your favorite toothpaste is Tom's of Maine spearmint flavor, right? Oh, that is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and let's, so if that's oh, your favorite, right? but then it's different, even if that's, if there's, if that's all they have, which is your favorite, whereas, whereas they have your favorite and five others, it still feels better to have the five others, even though you're not going to, you're not going to, even though, yeah, even though you're, you're not going to do them. You're like, I selected this. I was in control. Yes. That's right. I remember I was, the reason I thought I remember the first time when COVID hit and I went into my local supermarket and the toilet paper aisles were empty. (laughs) No, I I, like, I had a little freak out. I'm not going to lie. I'm very bonded to my toilet paper. (laughs) I, I, I do have, by the way, a particular kind it's you're you're, you're a, a toilet paper snob. <laughs> yes, I am a toilet paper snob. I'm not even joking. Actually, I'm in this hotel for a week with my wife. We're on a vacation, and I brought the toilet paper. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so, so when I first saw that, it was like, I mean, I didn't ha- I didn't have a neuro crash, but I definitely had SOS about it. I was like, whoa, what the heck is going on? Like, you're like, like, it, it just, just got real, right? Yeah, and and then. Right. And then that didn't, I thought, okay, it's okay. It's going to change in two weeks. And it like completely didn't change in two weeks. Um, and so I had, I had to have a different way of doing it. Right. Which I, again, well, and, and actually, right. So that comes down to not only percept, perceived control, but also things like how, how do I want to think about this? What do I want to tell myself? Right. Okay. Do, right. Cause I can, I can, I have, I don't have control over the toilet paper, but I have control over what I'm telling myself about the toilet paper. What I believe right. about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I could talk about this for another hour. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do, we'll do a follow-up on toilet yeah. paper, okay? <laughs> so, you said, so you said recognizing and being, working on interception muscle for yourself, changing environment if you need to, even for a little bit, and then... Wait, long breaths? Long breaths. Breath. Longer exhales, right? Okay. Um, um, uh, hold on. I had another one. Um, control. Perceive control. control. Yes. And give, and well, and give other, that's a thing. If you want them to have less neuro crashes, that means giving them more control. This goes against every instinct we have, right? Yes. With both, with, without autism, our, every instinct says, if a person's acting out, we call that a temper tantrum, right? And we say, the last thing you do is give the person control. You got to break right. them. You got to teach them a lesson. Even I'm talking about even for adults. If they're like, if like you're the boss and they're a, they're an employee, right. hey, they got to learn the freaking lesson. They don't get to just decide company policy, right? right. So yeah. so we so we so 
we're trying to do this to try and like behavior mod people, right? Yeah. And I'm not saying that can never work, but what it can never work to do is help with neuro crashes, right? Might right. help with something, but it's not going to help with neuro crashes. So that's so how another. How do you do the control part? Do you have like a quick example just to finish off? How you <laughs> let's say? By the way, I really, I really, I really admire Fabiola how you're conducting this inf- interview. You're like, yeah, listen, I know you have stories. I don't want to hear it. Tell me the steps. <laughs> you know, which comes first and second. Um, yeah, you so, see what it's like yeah. every day for me. Okay, <laughs> I'm an engineer. I need steps. Oh yes, well that makes sense actually, and and you know what that that'll be helpful for the listeners and viewers. So fair enough. There you go. Um, what was your last question? So if you are in a situation of you know neuro crashes are about to happen, let's say you are the person in the airplane that has been asked to put your mask on, and then you freak out, and then the other person freaks out. How do I do the control? How do I give the control to the other person? To the other person. Oh, oh, gotcha. To the other person. Right. Gotcha. Okay. So first of all. I don't want to put the mask on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but, but, but wait, but actually this is the fabiola, right? If, if, if making a point, I, I, I don't, I don't mean this. Please take this with love because that's. Oh, of course, of course. But if, if making, I say this to everyone who's also listening and viewing right? Yes. If making a point is your prime objective, then um, stopping neuro crashes is not for you, right? Because, oh. because you, that those two things are not compatible. And I feel like right now we're locked in a societal uh, zeitgeist where it's all about making the point. It's all about owning the libs and own culture war. Yeah. The conservatives and owning like everyone's doing it. It's all, it's like, so then it becomes, and I had someone say this to to me once, like, um, I'm just not going to, my friend asked me to wear a mask to come in. I'm just not going to do it. Um, because that would be conceding that she has power over me and I live in a fascist dictatorship and I'm just not going to do it. Right. Right. They have every right. They have every right to not do it. I'm not, I'm not, I didn't get it on that person's case. They don't have to wear a mask if they don't want to. Right. right? But then the answer is if you either, if you really don't want to wear a mask, don't come to that person's house and make it it, it, it's like the crayons it's like the crayons in the wall right don't don't put the crayons in a situation like that how do you give well well, wait wait i'm I'm trying i'm coming back i'm coming back to it i I promise i'm giving you your steps steps. but wait wait but but let me just say this or because let me just finish that example right so one option is stay home right the other option is i'm just throwing this it depends you could decide making my point. I'm not talking about it if you have some sort of um, intense reaction to the mask that's like an allergic something. I don't know. Yeah, I'm that's me. It. Let's just say you don't want to wear it. You just don't yeah. want to wear it. You don't believe in it, right? You could decide though. I'm just saying, I'm going to visit my friend for a half an hour, say hi. She's going to feel more comfortable at ease. She's probably having a ton of neuro crashes around the whole COVID stuff. Right. I could give control here. I don't need to make my point. I don't need, now, maybe, maybe some people listening right now feel like, no, I need to make my point. Okay. I'm not saying you're a bad person if you need to make your point, but if you need to make your point, you're not going to prevent their neuro crash. That's all. Right, that's my right. Own. They're going to have, right. You're, Cause you're not giving them any control. Right. right. So, so the, um, so the piece about this is, is like, that's where it comes to like, okay, can I look for a few little places. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about giving control in some like 
someone wants to say, touch me in a way I don't want to be touched. I'm not going to be right, that kind right. Of way, right. But there might be other kinds of control that I can give that don't cost me a huge amount, it, especially if I'm, this is why what you're telling yourself matters. If what you're telling yourself is I'm giving into the mask, the mask mob, then of course you're not going to be able to do it. I understand that. But if what you're telling yourself is actually my mission today, just for this half an hour, is I'm going to try and help this person to not have a neuro crash. I just, that's where I'm, that's where I want to come from. I don't okay. believe in it. I think where, what they're asking me to do is frivolous, silly, and ridiculous and pointless, right? I'm not changing my point of view on that, but that's not my priority right now is right. to prove to them that what they're saying is pointless. My, my priority is helping them be self-regulated, helping them be at ease enough and maybe spend some time together. Let's say, what do you, yeah. and that's just, if it's my friend, if it's, if it's a coworker or someone I'm not, I don't care about in the same way, I still might care if they have a neuro crash though. Right. Yeah. So, right. And even, even, so there might be, right. I, even like, and I'm, I am not blaming a, any flight attendant who gets punched in the face. Right. But, but, but you could, right. They're, they're, they're not really trained to even make that request in a way that's going to be non-triggering. Right. Someone who's right on the verge of a neuro crash. Like you yeah. could say, Hey, listen, uh, you know, why don't you do like, like it's usually like you, you must do it right this second. Right? Yeah, and I understand yeah. why they're trying for something versus like, actually you can do it. You can do it this way. Like try and give them a choice. Yeah, yeah. I still need you to do it. Cause it's a regulation. I didn't make the regulation. Sorry. Like, but let's see how we can do. And that's usually, it's not approached that way. Um, right. Which is, yeah. a, is a training issue, not a flight attendant issue. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, so I, you know, and I think you there's know, a, that a lot reminds of that. me of when we learn that when our child comes and takes the toy away from us, we could choose to believe they're connecting with us. So that's amazing. Instead of saying, oh, he shouldn't do that. He's going to do it with other kids. And this is awful. And, that's and what this absolutely. reminds me of. And Fabiola, you're, you're absolutely right. There are a, a huge amount of parents, therapists, and educators that who work with and, or love someone on the spectrum yeah. who really get into, I, number one, I will not have my authority challenged. Right. right? Um, number two, I can't just let this kid get away with this. Right? Yes. Right. Be, because they're not really understanding the full dynamic of what's going on. Mm-hmm. You're not letting anybody get away with anything. It's not about that. We're, we're not in that zone of interaction where someone's being getting away with something. Right. Again, there's situations with neurotypical kids where I would say, Hey, yeah, don't let them get away with that. It's not like that's never true. Right. But if there's someone on the spectrum and let's say they come and take your toy, right. It's, this isn't about, Oh, what if, if I let him take the toy, he's going to become a spoiled brat. The, right now, I don't even have them trusting me and in my, in my world. So what am I talking about? Letting them get away yeah. and spoiling them, right? First, first, I got to like build this connection here, right? And right, so- build the connection. Yeah. And so, so if I, so, so if I, if I'm busy either trying to have authority or trying to instill a behavior, even in my, my loved one on the spectrum, right? There's a, and there's a, this is very hard to, um, very hard for people to let go of very hard. People get yeah. really intense about this, right? I can't just allow him or her to do the thing. It's like, it's not okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I try, I'm not always successful. I try to give them a way to see that where they can understand what's actually happening and address the dynamic that they really want to address, which let's say might be neuro crash or might be uh, communication or might mm-hmm. be uh, trust or something like that, because you can address all that other stuff. Let's say you do want to 
how to teach them certain kinds of what behaviors are going to work in society and what aren't. Yeah, but you need to have enough connection and enough trust and enough other things in order to get to that place. To get so to first that. we got to do this piece here. Yeah. Now, do you feel we can apply because there's been so much division, right? Through this, I mean, families torn apart, um, friendships of years long torn apart. Do you think that we can use these concepts to come back together? Well, what are your you thoughts on that? Look, I don't want to say that's a, that's a, that's actually a great, like kind of, um, conclusion point because I, I, because I think that I love this question. It, look, I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to have any kind of sense of hubris about it. Like if they just adopt me and Kate's. <laughs> it's okay. Thing. We love you. We, we love all your stuff. Yeah. It's going to be awesome, right? No, so I, so I'm not, I'm not saying that, but what, but I do think uh, that there is some door opening potential there, because, and I tell you why, because one of the things it does is, um, it's a way. I say it's a way to. I'm talking in the neurotypical community here. It's a way to get us out of the cycle of like blame and attack and everything, right? Accusation and. But, but it's a way to get us out of that without asking the other person um, to give up face and back down. That's right. right. Because actually, if you're if you're treating the other person like they're either having or close to a neuro crash, right? If you treat them that way, um, that doesn't require you to back down and concede any points to them. It doesn't require you to be bossed around by them. It doesn't require you to like, admit wrongdoing on your own part. It actually it kind of puts you almost in this other place of, I don't want to say above them, but like in the, in the caregiver position. Right. right. So it gets us out of that dynamic. Now the neurocrash person can be having their experience. We, and this is why I actually, when I wrote about it in relation to the Will Smith, Chris Rock thing, I wasn't taking any particular side. I wasn't saying, you see, Will Smith had a good reason or, or how could he do something like that over a little joke? Right. I wasn't right. trying to, I was trying to say like, if we saw it this way, we could have an, maybe a sense of compassion and understanding. That doesn't mean we legalize that activity. Right. You still can't go up and slap people and, and do that, right? right. But, but it means we can create a zone of understanding around it and maybe even start to come, have some solutions there. And yeah. I will just say this too. I just want to say one last thing because it relates to both all of us and to, and to Will Smith, which is um, for me, the issue, I, I say something, uh, I start with autism with this. A neuro crash is not a statement about the person's character. This right. is really important to understand. If it's someone on the spectrum, we'll start there, is having lots of neuro crashes and hitting and flipping out, that's not a statement of that kid's character. That doesn't mean that's a bad kid. That doesn't mean that's a kid that wants to hurt people, right? That That's not what it's about. They're not choosing the neuro crash, right? So that's that's not what's happening there, right? So in that sense, that that's sort of important to realize. But the, the other piece is if we can then broaden that a little bit, uh, if we if we have a neuro crash, that doesn't say that we're a terrible person either and we're irredeemable either. But and here's the but piece, how we respond after, as I'm just talking about the neurotypical community here, how we respond after the neuro crash, I feel like does say something about our family. Yeah. So, so I will say this, what he said when he accepted the, the award 
just as an example, I'm just using this to illustrate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Celebrities. I don't spend my time thinking about celebrities, but just as an, <laughs> an illustrative example, when you go up and you accept an award and you completely justify everything you just did and, and say that, that, that actually you were doing God's work when you did that. And that, <laughs> right? when you do that, uh, to me, that is, that does say something about that person. <laughs> now I know, okay. Like you had your neuro crash. That's fine. That's completely forgivable. But yeah, you know, so then I would say, even if you had a neuro crash, even if you feel like things got totally out of control, any of us, if this happens, right? right. Fair enough. And I would hope there could be compassion and forgiveness there for that. Right. But then we, then, then the, the adult neurotypical person who has a neuro crash, I would argue they don't have to do this, would have, but I would want them to, to have some sense of responsibility of like, okay, now, now let me try to make amends for what just yeah. happened when I exploded. Do you know what I mean? Right. So, and, and like to own it and not blame other people for it and, and, and sort of say like, okay, let me, I'm, I know I can't perfectly make amends, but let me try because that isn't yeah. how I would have wanted to behave. Yeah. I think that ties that's that up really beautiful. nicely. Yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. So Ron, first of all, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I know we had a little technical difficulties there <laughs> at the beginning, but, but this has been fantastic. What uh, information do we want to leave people with as far as, you know, where they can find you, what, what links, things like that, that you want to make sure they get? Sure. Um, thank you. Thanks for asking. Um, so, okay. First thing is definitely, uh, I would really recommend people go to autismcrisisturnaround.com. That's all about the ACT protocol. It's all about the June 11th and 12th live Zoom it's it, actually that course is called the act live rescue course. That's the name of that course called the act okay. live rescue course. They can go to the, um, that website, autism crisis, There's some free videos they can watch there. If they scroll all the way down to the bottom, that's where they can sign up for the class. If they want to actually, if they sign up for that together with a, a pre-course that we have, that would normally be 75 bucks. They get that pre-course for free awesome. um, on June, on June 11th and 12th, if, if they want to. And like I said, it's on zoom. So they don't have to travel anywhere. Amazing. Uh, and Kate and I teach it together, right? Yeah. So I would, I would love for people to do that. Um, the, uh, if, if, of course, as you know, if people want information about the Sunrise Program, the place to go to, go to the Autism Treatment Center of America, they also have online courses, as you know now. Yes. Um, uh, they would go to autismtreatment.org, autismtreatment.org. Okay. Um, so they could, they could go there, there. And, um, and hey, if people want to go to my Facebook page, Ron K. Kaufman on Facebook, R-A-U-N-K-K-A-U-F-M-A-N. Um, I, I'm posting every day there stuff and a lot of stuff. Awesome. About yeah. Excellent. Hey, thank you so much. Thank we'll we'll you. let you get back to your evening with your, your beautiful wife and uh, say hi to the family for us. We love you all so much. No, thank you. Work. That was a great You're discussion. Thank you, guys. We love you so much. Thanks, Ron. Thank you. I love you, too. Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye. All right. Well, that was a fantastic interview with Ron Kaufman. Did you enjoy that, Fabi? I did. I enjoyed very much. And uh, we looked, hopefully, to have him back in the future. Again, he meant so much to our family as far as the journey that we were on with autism. And uh, uh, he's just such a 
fascinating guy. I mean, he's so well-spoken. He has so much energy and life about him and so much positivity, which I think we all need a little bit more of in our lives. Uh, So we definitely want to have him back on the program as things progress and how we learn more about how we can meet individuals with autism and really... uh, the, the, the public at large, right? I mean, it, this is something as far as the neurocrash is concerned, it's something that, that impacts us all in many ways, don't you think? Oh, yes. I mean, with him, we really learned about the parallels between what is to have a neurocrash as a special needs person and what is it like to have a neurocrash as a neurotypical person. Yeah. And I have, ex- as we said in the interview, I have experienced plenty of neurocrashes lately. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, we we uh, we know that we can uh, uh, improve ourselves, and we know that we can improve how we interact with others. And so, this episode has been kind of about that. And and then, as far as uh, ending season five, we hope we hope that you guys all enjoyed this season. It's been a whirlwind these last ten episodes, and we really want to do some exciting things in season six. We'll take a little bit of a hiatus for you know three to four weeks as we kind of retool and try to figure out what our goals and our topics are going to be for season six. And please, if you have any feedback, you can uh, join us at our Telegram page at uh, the Collective Resistance Podcast and uh, join the conversation there and feel free to throw in any uh, uh, additional information or context around your experience with autism or neurocrashes now that you have some education around that. Fabi, anything else you want to leave people with? Yes, check out our Rumble page. How do you say the promo page? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, if you just do a search for the Collective Resistance Podcast, it'll come yes, up. Yes, and this uh, interview is going to be, the video is going to be on Rumble. Yeah, excellent. All right. Well, hey, that wraps up uh, season five. I tell you what, I think we're both ready to uh, uh, hit the hay and sleep for about a week. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so let's go ahead and uh, end this episode with our typical outro. Oh, wow. I just can't get the volume correct on that last... uh... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Fabi, what do you want to tell everybody? Hey, everybody. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay curious.